Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, he is Armstrong and Getty. Found this so interesting. I think it's all uh, it all fits together. A great piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago about um, the tribalism and politics and how human beings seem to be hardwired to form bands, identify enemies, and harden our feelings toward enemies and and, and act accordingly. Bands like it's groups. just not like we need a bass player and a drummer. We've got a singer and a guitar player. Right, exactly, and and if I'm in the Rolling Stones, I don't actually despise you know the the, the Beatles or whatever, no, um, and want to fight them, uh, but it's it's difficult having gotten into that spot for human beings to uh, like get out of it, and uh, without getting too deep into the studies and the science and that sort of thing, I found this just unbelievable. Share of those in each party who view the other party very unfavorably. Republicans in 1994, 21% of Republicans viewed Democrats very unfavorably. It, it's gone from 21 to 62. Now, uh, the Democratic Party is utterly unrecognizable from 1994 to now. Utterly. Bill Clinton and Al Gore... Compared to the woke mob, transgender treatments for children. Well, I feel like re- Democrats would say the same thing about the Republican Party, wouldn't they? I would need better evidence, although they would cite the Trump wing mm-hmm. of the Republican Party, which, you know, how that endures or what shape it takes going forward, I don't know. But the percentage of Democrats who view Republicans extremely unfavorably has uh, over tripled from 17 percent to 54 percent. Extremely unfavorably on both sides. So it's a majority. Yeah, very unfavorably. Mm-hmm. Very unfavorably. That's rough. Those are rough numbers. Well, I remember that poll. That uh, I kept citing a while back, where it was like 
two thirds in both in each party think the other party is out to destroy America. And I right. Mean, if you feel that way, well, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's rough. So the, the one scientist uh, scientific aspect of this that I found so interesting and I'm, I'm working towards something here. Hang with me. Uh, they they did a study at Princeton, asked Democrats and Republicans to review the resumes of two fictitious high school students. Uh, they proved more likely to award a scholarship to the student who matched their own par- party affiliation. Uh, people in the experiment gave political party more weight than race or grade point average, anything. Um, so that's interesting. Then there was a landmark 2013 uh, study at Yale where they assessed the math skills of about a thousand adults. A mix of self-described liberals, conservatives, and moderates. This is crazy now. Then the researchers gave them a politically inflected math problem to solve, presenting data that pointed to whether cities that had banned concealed handguns experienced a decrease or increase in crime. But now, this is a story problem, remember, but it was math. The only thing you had to do was the math. In half the tests, solving the problem correctly showed that a concealed carry ban reduced crimes, and the other one, obviously, a crime had arisen. The result, the result was striking. The more a depth the test takers were at math, the more likely they were to get the correct answer, but only when the right answer matched their political outlook. When the right answer ran contrary to their political stance, they tended to give the wrong answer. They were no light more likely to solve the problem correctly than were people in the study who were less good at math. They just couldn't bring themselves to accept the mathematical facts that that, that tended to Oppose their worldview. I think we can all come up with examples in our own heads of how that is playing out. Yeah, all over yeah. the place right now. And there's a great deal to the study. Maybe we we'll, all we'll get back. We yes. all we all need to watch out for that. Then, if that's a of human course. tendency, of course, yeah, well, you, confirmation bias. You combine that with that other stuff that we've learned about the human brain, to where the the first thing we hear, we hang on to as true. Despite, you know, evidence to the contrary going forward, you combine those two things. Good God. It's a wonder that the human beings have managed to thrive at all. It is. I, uh, you know, that is clearly true, that particular instance of the way our brain works. But I remember you brought that up and I was unfamiliar with it. I hadn't heard anybody talk about it until recently. But as a word guy, I can tell you there are words that I learned the wrong pronunciation of as a child. Then had it corrected, and I've fought that for 50 years to, to remember the right one. Isn't that weird? Wow. So that is why it's so important to, well, indoctrinate for, children into neo-Marxism while they're young. I was actually going to say, as a parent, make sure you get whatever views you think are important or true into their heads early. Mm-hmm. Because... If you can, it's going to be hard for somebody to dislodge them, and you don't want somebody else to be the first. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so That's anyway, really yeah, interesting. I, so those but, two things, both of those things, the thing you just brought us in that again. How does how does how do human how do Homo sapiens uh, even survive with that? And and I was you know a bit dry in my delivery of my little sarcasm there, but the Marxists are more than aware of this. They're absolutely aware that they've got to get the ideas of of critical theory, radical gender theory, the rest into kids' heads because you will spend the rest of your lives trying to undo that, which is insidious.
More to come on that topic and others. Uh, first, and a, a quick new, word. And a new poll. Yes. And a new poll on how people... Not a stupid, dusty old poll. A new one on how people are feeling about Joe Biden's age. Oh, Irma Gerd. Yes. yes, well said, sir. So a quick word from our friends at HelloFresh. Could not be a bigger fan of HelloFresh. My gosh, you know what the, the best thing might be is, the, well, the best thing is the deliciousness of the, the meals that Judy and I whip up. Um, and we're dinner folks, but they do lunches and snacks, too. Um, but it's the variety, the whole, oh, God, this again. It just doesn't happen because we get HelloFresh uh, three nights a week. I grew up calling it supper. Up until I was probably in my 20s, it was supper. I don't know how I, how I became a dinner person. That's so, hey, it's just whatever. We're a big tent show here. Supper, dinner, the evening repast, whatever you <laughs> <laughs> uh, when life gets busy, don't call for takeout. Get HelloFresh. It's 25% cheaper than delivery, even less expensive than grocery so- shopping. Just choose your recipes, receive pre-portioned ingredients, and crave-worthy recipes to your door. And you can throw this food together yourself. You don't have to be some sort of gourmet cook. And if you go on vacation, you put it on hold, or, you know, if you don't like it, you quit. You're going to like it. But try America's number one meal kit today. Get 50% off. Holy cow. Plus free shipping with the code 50Armstrong at HelloFresh.com slash 50Armstrong. That's the code 50Armstrong at HelloFresh.com slash 50Armstrong. I actually believe, uh, the, the, as, as a whole, the Democratic Party has changed significantly more than the, the, uh, Republican Party, and I have data to back me up, but that's a big topic for another time. You know, that whole tribal thing was just going to be a lead up to this brilliant piece by Victor Davis Hansen. Um, that I don't think we really have time for, but I will tell you this instead. Another one of my little lead-ups was going to be something I discovered from uh, the brilliant Jonathan Turley, who was talking about his main theme is that uh, the big journalism schools are telling their kids, uh, neutrality, uh, objectivity, forget it. That's yesterday's Ville, man. It, all journalism is advocacy journalism all the time. Don't give the other side any of the facts, even if they're facts, man. It's just crazy. And there are quotes that they've abandoned the idea of what all of us have grown up with as the, uh, you know, the the principles of good journalism, which is interesting. Uh, But not surprisingly, trust in journalism is plunged. Absolutely plunged. But this is another great example of one of those statistics that if you take the big number, like we've been talking about Republicans win uh, married men, single men, married women. The only group Democrats win is single women by enormous margins. So if you don't break it down, you're obscuring the truth. Here's another good one. Americans don't trust the media. The uh, 70, uh, or the, the numbers, or the overall numbers, it doesn't matter. But five years ago, 70% of Republicans said they had at least some trust in national news organizations. 70%. By last year, it's down to 35%. Cut in half. Well, how, how would you expect any other result? Well, exactly. And and a lot of it's reflected in the fact that the schools of journalism are telling their folks, advocate, advocate for liberalism. Because the journalism schools are way, way left. Here's the crazy part, though. So among uh, Republican-type people, trust is down to 35%. Conversely, and not surprisingly, Hurley, uh, Hurley writes... Turley writes, 78% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independent independents say they have a lot or some trust in the media. 
When you ask liberal Democrats, it jumps to 83%. Wow. 83 to 35. And that's not paranoia versus open-heartedness. No, that's one side sees journalism as attacking them, and one side sees them as golden retriever loyal to their side. Man, all these different stats showing the the great divide is uh, I don't know how I don't know how we go forward. I don't watch the news. That's a good that's a good plan right there, son. Well done, son. Uh, well, as I always point out, given these numbers, it's a miracle Republicans, conservatives, ever win an election or ever win an argument. I would argue that many of the arguments we win are because facts, logic, and human experience is clearly on our side, as opposed to fanciful, idiotic, bizarre philosophies cooked up in, you know, graduate schools. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
out that this mysterious Flannery Associates is a group of high-profile Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and investors that want to build a new, like, supermodel city in Northern California. It um, includes a high-wattage list of technology entrepreneurs and investors, um, Include LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, former Sequoia Capital partner Michael Moritz. I don't know who all these people are, but they're super heavyweights of, of tech and, um, and, uh, and finance. Here's the interesting part. They are playing beyond hardball with the landowners. They are brutalizing landowners who aren't going around away. I'm sorry, not going along with the plan and trying to sue them into bankruptcy or whatever if they don't uh, cooperate, accusing them of uh, jacking up prices, etc. Um, and we can get into some of the uh, the ins and outs of that. Uh, at some point, because it's it's again beyond hardball, but we have a uh, one of our beloved listeners has been involved in this for quite a while now, and uh, has written us about John Sweeney, who has been fighting since 2017. Uh, he's been fighting the state and these developers and everything over certain environmental. Uh, rules, regs, and laws. And he's run up against these zillions of dollars and the incredibly well-connected heavyweights um, <clears throat> who are trying to build this super city, and the heavyweights are now tied into the state of California, and the state is fighting on their side because they are the 800-pound gorillas of tech and, and money. And and this guy is fighting on bravely, but his point is that the state is allowing this super development to run roughshod over environmental laws, water laws, just anything they want while they brutalize the homeowners and farmers and and people in the is it Solano wetlands I think or uh da, 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 da. I can't remember the specific I'll figure it out the specific term for this um uh, uh the Sassoon marsh so going to be digging into this see if I can understand it but it's not the communist chinese it's a Conglomerate of the super powerful backed by the state trying to develop some modern super city. That's pretty interesting. It is. I mean, I, I we don't have time, but I could read you um, from Sassoon News, the article about John Sweeney suing state agencies. He won three landmark decisions. Um, that cleared him and his island and the business on the island of any wrongdoing. But then he was attacked by the Regional Water Board and the Bay Conservation Development Commission over a small levy repair on his island. And so the judges in the state are trying to hammer him, put him out of business, and get him off the land over a Picayune violation. And he's trying to take it to the Supreme Court. But this really, really, really looks like the super powerful trying to trample on the individual homeowners and farmers uh, to achieve their zillion dollar dream. Again, we'll follow the story. And their super city would be unique in what way? I don't know exactly. Um, let me flip back to this. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The lawsuits, the uh, Flannery Associates has developed a very bad reputation in Solano County through their total secrecy and mistreatment of generational family farmers, said John Garamendi. He's not loving this stuff. Um, I don't know. It's some sort of modern model city. I've just heard vague descriptions of it. 
I like the idea of that. I'm interested in that. I don't want you know people to get screwed as they uh, acquire land and everything like that. But I like the idea of super rich financing some new idea for developing a city and seeing if it works. But it's not the least bit shocking in Cal Unicornia that uh, the the super powerful and rich could get the state to ignore, like, zoned for farming, uh, zoned for wildlife habitat, protected by the EPA, and just forget all of that. But again, there's more to learn, more to be seen. Uh, This is going to be quite the battle. Um, And some some are calling it a mega city. So it ain't going to be, like, you know, a a uh, 5,000-person housing tract with a nice train station. Wow. It's going to be big. I have to keep an eye on this story. Oh, yeah. Armstrong and Getty. This is the day that we say we're about to open a pit of hell. The Bobcat Techno Boys. Huh? A Bobcat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, guys. Obviously, this does not appear to be a nominal situation. Well, Lottie freaking God. Okay. Come on. That was quite entertaining. That was really cool. It, it, it makes no sense. This country is going to be in big trouble. I'm going to call my lawyer. Gun. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I was just reading this piece in the New York Times, The One Privilege Liberals Ignore, written by a liberal that I thought was fascinating. I'm hoping this opens the can of uh, this discussion going forth. I was actually going to make that part of this segment if we can squeeze it in, but we can figure that out in a minute. Um, Yeah, it is uh, absolutely frank and incredibly important. I have not seen it picked up, uh, repeated, echoed anywhere yet. But it is the giant elephant in the room in terms of haves and have-nots in America that nobody on the left wants to talk about. Stay right. tuned for that. Um, this is, uh, this is uh, amazing and horrifying to me. A couple of pieces of evidence. Um, the, the Free Beacon doing a nice job setting up the topic with their story from court packing to climate change. Teachers unions push progressive priorities as test scores plummet. Uh, that's kind of the whole story there in the headline. But they mentioned that during the uh, July National Conference, the National Education Association, there are two. You got the uh, American Federation of Teachers and the National and the NEA. OK, between the two of them, they're the two super giants. They collect about three billion dollars in dues. Can you imagine having three billion dollars to play with, to lobby, to bribe, uh, to to buy media, that sort of thing? Um, <clears throat> but during its July National Conference, the NEA unveiled a slew of new business items, which included calls for President Biden to expand the Supreme Court to restore American democracy. That's a quote from the teachers union huh? and extend asylum to all illegal immigrants. Uh, what now? Weeks later, the other uh, 800-pound gorilla, the American Federation of Teachers, held its own summer gathering, which saw union leaders attend training sessions centered on, quote, integrating climate change into your teaching and Ugh. affirming LGBTQIA plus identities in and out of the classroom. NEA President Becky Pringle, meanwhile, used her conference keynote speech to, quote, call out every politician and every pundit who refuses to address gun violence and argue that America is structurally inequitable. Can you just teach reading, writing, arithmetic? Well, wouldn't that be lovely as the National Association of Educational Progress report, which just came out, showed abysmal student achievement scores. Proficiency in history for eighth graders fell to an all-time low. With the availability of technology, the improvements in, you know, information, nutrition, you know, how can we be at an all-time time low well and i don't i don't know the answer and to per this student funding is at an all-time high i don't know the answer to this but a lot of our tests we've dumbed down over the years so is it possible we're at an all-time low with lowered standards yes yes uh That's let's see troubling Oh, you haven't begun to be troubled. Begun to be troubled. There, I can't speak English. For instance, <clears throat> because reading, of our schools, <laughs> because of our damn schools. Uh, let's see. Reading and math scores for thirteen-year-olds fell to levels not seen in decades. Still, in the build-up to the twenty twenty-three school year, NEA and AFT leaders spent much of their time discussing how to insert liberal priorities into classrooms. And we spend more money per student than we ever have before. How did? How do you? Ah, the fact that we spend more and get less results, and that it just slips by people. Nobody cares. Drives me nuts. 
So the big two teachers unions made it their top priorities to get more so quote unquote queer issues and climate change into the classroom while test scores are at an all time low. How do you deal with that as a progressive? Well, if you're the unforgivable Kate Brown of Oregon, you do this. For the next five years, an Oregon high school diploma will be no guarantee that the student who earned it can read, write, or do math anywhere near a high school level. Now, this is so interesting. I once had a uh, a good friend of mine. She's actually my girlfriend at the time. Um, telling me about something that Gladys, happened in her family. Did you quit? She's quiet quitting. Gladys th- says it's minimal Monday, and she's quiet quitting. So she, we start into a story from our uh, past, and she doesn't even play the harp anymore. Another one of Joe's stupid remembrances. Not today, she's thinking. Wow, wow. Of course, she's a teamster, so that we can't do much about it. <laughs> She's in the Teamsters Harp Union. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, this young lady said something uh, about something that had happened in her family and, and said, well, they weren't very proud of it, you could tell, because they were doing it with the lights out. And uh-huh. I thought, wow, that's a pretty interesting way to put it, and it stuck with me. Uh, anyway, uh, please do note, as this story unfolds, how much of it was done with the lights out. So... Kate Brown had... Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. <laughs> wow. Where did you get that, Michael? That's what I was grabbing. Seriously? Yeah. That's why Gladys wasn't available. Wow. Wow. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Kate Sorry, Gladys. I didn't mean to yell. Governor Kate Brown uh, refused to answer earlier this summer regarding whether she supported the plan passed by the Oregon legislature to drop practically all requirements for graduation, that students demonstrate they have achieved those skills. She wouldn't answer whether she was going to sign it. But on July 14th, sure enough, she signed Senate Bill 744 into law. You're thinking, Joe, that was like a month ago. Where have you guys been? Well, <clears throat> through a spokesperson, the governor declined again Friday to comment on the law and why she had supported suspending the proficiency requirements. Her decision was not made public until recently because her office did not hold a signing ceremony or even issue a press release. And the fact that the governor signed the bill was not entered into the legislative database until a couple of days. Well, no, I guess it was uh, the very, very end of July which is a departure from the normal practice in Oregon of updating the public database the same day a bill is signed. You sign the bill, you update the database. Well, no, they held off for weeks on it. What's especially notable about this is this is from uh, the Oregonian slash Oregon Live, which is a dyed-in-the-wood liberal media outlet, which covers all things Oregon and Portland. But the Oregonian uh, asked the governor's office when Brown's staff notified the legislature that she had signed the bill. And they said, well, the same day. Uh, Also that, uh, but then they hadn't put it up for the public to hear about. Now, this Charles Boyle, the governor's deputy communications director, uh, said in an email statement that suspending the reading, writing, and math proficiency requirements, all of them, folks, all of them. Just no, not not lowering them, suspending them. There just aren't any standards. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah, they have no standards. They're doing that while the state develops new graduation standards that will benefit Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. You know, what's great about that statement is the problem is in the statement. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
Quote, the reason leaders- you have to do this is in your statement. The fact that you just listed all those things is why we have a problem. In large measure, yeah. The, to finish the quote, leaders from those communities have advocated time and again for equitable graduation standards, along with expanded learning opportunities and supports. Now, I'm staunchly in favor of expanded learning opportunities and supports, but equitable grading standards means everybody gets the same grade no matter what they do. Equity is another word for socialism, whether economic or in grades or whatever. Um, this is so incredibly insidious. We feel enlightened by requiring nothing of students of color and giving them diplomas, though they've learned very little. That makes us good people. Can you imagine a more perverse way of seeing the world? Man, that's so troubling. (sighs) Glenn Beck has become a gazillionaire doing a show where he talks about it's all over. It's all gone to hell every day. I've always wanted to try to, like, you know, not do that every day because it seems depressing. Uh, but man, this story makes me think it's actually all going to hell. We are a, a, a culture in such steep decline. Moving down. Well, here's my my heartening response to that is much like as we were discussing last hour, Americans by seventy to twenty six think it's absurd that biological males would compete against girls in sports. 70 to 26, folks, were winning this argument. But you would think it was the opposite, given the perception you get through the media uh, and through activists. Well, I would argue that the uh, that the numbers on this sort of thing are probably very, very similar. So the society is going to hell if we don't fight back against it, dig in our heels and say, we're not letting this happen. We won't let the activists and the lunatics have the day. We can't. It's too damaging. Which brings us to uh, the Nicholas Kristof piece in the New York Times. And he's a, he's a dyed-in-the-wool uh, liberal type. But uh, he is extremely honest on a very, very touchy topic. And that is, and, and we'll give it its, its full due in a segment or two, but the idea that you're going to repair racial inequalities, uh, you know, the, the achievement gaps, grade gaps, etc., at the gates of Harvard, or Princeton, or Yale, or Penn, or whatever, and you're just going to artificially shove more black kids into Penn, for instance, and that will solve the problem, as opposed to addressing the socio-cultural family issues that have led us to these stark, you know, achievement gaps. It's, it's suicidal. It's worse than doing nothing. It's condemning millions of kids to a similar hopeless fate. But Christoph is calling it like he sees it, and that's quite an act of courage on the left. And again, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, I do want to get into the some of the stats on that. This stuff around the schools lowering the standards, though. So we've we've read about and talked about this at every level. So grade schools and then high schools. And you graduate high school with a lower proficiency in everything than you ever have before, and then you go to college. If you go to college. College kids learn less than they ever learned before, spend less time in class, less time studying. I mean, that's just a uh, that is that is a culture that's going to be overtaken by a culture that is serious about achievement. Yeah, uh, education has become purely consumer good. 
And it reminds me of like, uh, you know, if I tried to put on 34 inch pants from 1978, I couldn't get them over my butt. But there are plenty of stores that will sell me quote unquote 34s that fit just fine. Doesn't that strike you as odd? 34 inches hasn't changed. No. And ed- education's similar. Hey, the customer wants a college degree for learning nothing. They're paying us a lot of money. Give them the freaking degree. Quick question for you. What if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program? The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man. Download it now, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. I uh, I want to get to this story later. I actually haven't read it. I just came across this this headline over. It was on Friday. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Once it was uh, just another day at the office. Now it's just weird. What are we going to do about Fridays? And I assume oh. the article is about the directions Fridays have just con- kind of gone. I just I, I I I do feel like Friday has become for is it now the majority of people it's not a real work day as the Wall Street Journal said it used to be just another work day Friday wasn't really different than Tuesday I mean casual Friday is a fairly recent in, in development in in my mind I mean you used to dress the same all Monday through Friday then it became casual Friday then it was half day Friday that's then it's you know, pandemic brought along, uh, you know, get on your Zoom call for one minute, then not work at all Friday. Yeah, kind of. It's certainly if uh, your company does any remote working, you're remote working on Friday. And uh, from what I've heard that even people coming into the office consider it perfectly acceptable if they announce at 1 p.m., you know, I got some stuff to take care of and and off they go. What are we going to do about Fridays? The Wall Street Journal says that's kind of funny. Anyway, we can that talk is about that later. I love that. I remember my first gig out of college. We would knock off at four thirty on Fridays and have beers in the uh, conference room, and that was that was like Christmas time because Friday was twenty percent of the work week. Period. Nobody thought of Friday as like, well, it's kind of a work day, right? We're turning into France, folks, and I don't hate it. <laughs> beers in the conference room—that seems, yeah. Did yeah. the, the idea oh of that god. now? People, alcohol use. Oh my god! People would. Like you brought a meth lab into the building if you had beers in the office on Fridays. And I worked at a big radio station, many several radio stations, that on a Friday afternoon, everybody had a beer on their desk on a Friday afternoon. And it wasn't considered, oh my God, they're shooting heroin down in the office. Well, everybody what about all the fist fights and oh, pe- people oh, the, having sex on the desks right? and the fights, the rapes? It was endless. Car wrecks on the way home all the time because adults can't be trusted. Anyway, a uh, pedophastry. Or it's it's got a pedophastry, pedophastry. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. I never took Greek. Um, it's a concept I brought up years ago when Greta Thunberg first made her appearance on the world scene, shaming us all because the planet's about to catch fire. She's, how dare you? She's that little girl that yelled at us about climate change. 
Yeah, you stolen was, my dreams. Sorry about that. Again, with your 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 accusations, my darling. Uh, and and uh, I came across a word describing why she was such a phenomenon, and I was fascinated by it, but I promptly forgot it and haven't been able to find it since. But Drew the Millennial, who learned the word on the show, did better than me. He remembered it and sent it back to us. Pedophastry. It's using children to make an argument or prop up a rationalization because you know the opposite side either A, doesn't want to criticize a child, or B, you can make the appeal that children are so pure of heart and have that wisdom uh, from the mouths of babes. Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I'm more, inkin, I'm more uh, you know, inclined to take that side of it, sweetheart. Anyway, uh, but the idea that Oh, a child knows. A child is untainted by idea. We must listen to the children. <laughs> That's pedophastry. Okay. That, that is pretty good. That is pretty yeah, good. And, I mean, like the notion that a confused 12-year-old girl, she knows what gender she is. We must listen to the children. Yeah, we got to listen to confused adolescents. Since when? As a former confused adolescent, trust me, you didn't want to listen to me. Yeah, this is bringing up a sore point for me. Oh, I can only imagine. As a parent, I've had conversations with coworkers around here about how we uh, we're, we're surprised of our kids' attitudes, yet uh, uh, about a variety of things, uh, but fully recognize that you know we raised them. So you gotta, I mean, you gotta, you know, when you point the finger at someone else, you got four fingers pointing back at you. No, um, you really don't, <laughs> unless you got some weird deformity. Anyway, go on. I'm sure you have a point. I think maybe one of the most important things that we all as a nation should uh, embrace is this idea of they didn't raise themselves, which we bring up a lot on the attitudes of whichever generation it is you're criticizing at the time. They, they, they're not organically different, like, or their DNA changed or something like that. So they got their attitude either from culture or you and your household or whatever. But anyway, aside from that, was just the, um, uh, 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 and, and I'll give myself some uh, a leeway for the fact that I'm uh, single parenting and that is a lot of jobs pushed into one human being, but um, trying to figure out the mealtime and everything like that. I, I, I have this tendency to ask my kids what they would want to eat, and it just it turns into a disaster of when we eat and what we eat. And I remember my mom never asked us what we want to eat. She just put dinner on the table at the same time every night, and either you ate it or you didn't. <laughs> And I'm gonna go and you back. Did. <laughs> and I'm gonna go back to that uh, the plan for my kids because this. What do you want to eat? And then arguing about it is just oh. nowheresville. What a stupid! Th I can't believe I even allowed it to happen. But I've gone down this road of making myself miserable. But it's over. Those days are over. Well, if you had a child, that would merely be a poor idea. But a three-headed monster of hungry men, please. Well, and since when do you want kids? It's just like the pedophistry or whatever that word is. Since when do you want kids making the, the nutritional decisions anyway? Not so much, no. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.